We'll be in 2 Corinthians 7 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning there. 2 Corinthians 7. If you don't have a Bible, as I do each week, encourage you to uh, grab one in the pew in front of you there. Should be uh, one available. This morning, as we're looking at this passage, I want to ask you, what's the difference between someone who is truly sorry for something and someone who just says they're sorry? I think uh, it doesn't take long to uh, consider over the last, especially two or three years, I would say, uh, in the media, on social media, we hear about different things happening, um, like for instance, uh, maybe a politician or some other uh, type of leader, you know, a group or an individual will dig up an old tweet or post that they had online that, uh, you know, maybe they forgot that they posted or they posted back then, but then hope nobody would fi- find it or whatever. And then after it's revealed, then soon after, they begin apologizing for that, right? I remember not too long ago, uh, one, a sports commentator uh, had they came back on the air. He didn't know they were back on the air, and his microphone was on, and he said some things that he deeply regretted uh, for various reasons because he was fired from that. Uh, but what always happens on these instances is soon after something is revealed or uncovered, whatever, um, the individual comes out with some sort of statement apologizing for whatever they did. And then it's usually followed by a lot of speculation online and on social media if they really meant the apology or not. And so I come back to the question, how can you tell the difference between someone who is truly sorry for what they did and someone who just says they're sorry? Well, as we've discussed in this letter to second, uh, the Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians addresses uh, some of the issues that Paul and the other apostles were facing at the Corinthian church because there were some false teachers who were in some ways spreading rumors about Paul and the other apostles, and the Corinthians had hurt Paul with some of their actions. And he's going to reference a letter that he sent to them, rebuking them for some of their actions. But in particular this morning, I want to focus on what he says their reaction, their response to this rebuke that he gave them was. And so we're going to begin in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 7. I want to read the whole passage. We're going to go to the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and dig into it a little bit. He writes, Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since... I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved with you in my letter, or excuse me, for even if I grieved you with my letter, 
I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you what a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we've been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more by, over the joy of uh, Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I've made any boast to him about you, I've not been disappointed. But as I've spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection towards you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, thousands of years later we're able to dig into your word in a, a way that's understandable to us in our language and that's, that's relevant to us. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, because you never change, your word uh, is applicable and relevant to us no matter when or where we are. Uh, Lord, I've prayed that today as we consider uh, what you have for us this morning, that you will help open our ears, our minds, our hearts. Lord, maybe for an individual here today who has been hard-hearted uh, or hard-headed, on some issues in their lives that need, they need to consider and think about. Lord, I pray that today, through your spirit, through your word, that you would soften them to hear what you have to say. Lord, for every single one of us, we know that we have uh, room to grow in the area of repentance and, and just in following you. And so we ask that you work in us today. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, uh, I want to begin by saying uh, kind of the obvious that I think it in some ways could go without saying, but no matter who we are, where we're from, every single one of us sin in various ways. Now, the reason I want to say that up front, we had um, actually had a little discussion in Sunday school this morning that for some reason... Uh, it seems like some people who are not connected with the church have this idea or this uh, mentality that uh, church folks sometimes uh, either act like or pretend like they're perfect. And I just want to put us all on a level playing field this morning and say, no matter what your week has been like, no matter what your day's been like, every single one of us struggle with things, right? We all sin in various ways. And so because of that, as we look to this passage this morning, for every single one of us when it comes to repentance, this applies to us. As Christians, we are to be people who turn from our sin, and that's what repentance is. And we're going to dig into that uh, a little bit more deeply this morning. And when you think about 
you know, a few minutes ago that scenario I gave you. I want to put it back into your court, into my court. How can you know if you have truly repented of sin? How can I know if I've truly repented of sin? When you think about something that you do wrong, how can you know if you've actually done that? And this morning I've entitled the message, What is Repentance? And when we think about this question, I want you to know this is super important for multiple reasons, but one is Jesus says this in Luke 5.32. Listen to what he says. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's what Jesus says. If you think you're righteous, if you think you've got it all together, I haven't come for you. Because in order to be saved, in order to uh, follow me, you have to realize that you are a sinner in need of a, a turn in your life, a change in your life. That is the only way to be saved. So every single one of us need repentance and need to have this active in our lives because that is the only way we can come to Jesus. And so he says that he's come to call sinners to repentance. And so we're going to focus on this important aspect of our spiritual journey today. We're going to find out what are the signs and results of repentance in our lives. And so we, as we look at this little passage here, he's kind of recounting uh, some of the things that uh, he wrote to them in a letter. Uh, in addition, he's recounting uh, Titus, Titus um, his experience dropping this letter off, bringing back word uh, to the apostles from the Corinthians, and how they had a lot of joy at the Corinthians' response to the, the rebuke that they had re- received. And as we look at this, we're not going to spend time really speculating, you know, what the contents of the letter was or, or anything to that matter. But I want to focus us on uh, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11 this morning. Look at verse 9. He writes, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. He goes on to say, for you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Now, one of the things I want to mention this morning that sin should do in our lives is bring about some type of remorse or grief. And first I want to show you and talk about this morning the the remorse. So if you're taking notes Write down the remorse. Now, he mentions two types of remorse, two types of grief here. Godly grief and worldly grief. You know, it's weird to think that uh, folks who wouldn't even follow Jesus might have some type of grief over their sin. But here, that's what he's referring to. There's a difference between a godly grief and a worldly grief. And as I was reading this, I I stopped and I thought about this question, and maybe you're asking it in your head this morning. What's the difference? What's the difference between godly grief and worldly grief? Obviously, it's a big enough difference to mention. It's something that we really need to consider because of the implications that we're going to see in just a minute. But what's the difference? And so I want to use an analogy uh, to kind of show you a little bit of the difference between the two. About a year ago, um, my wife and I took the kids to Charlotte, North Carolina. The reason we went there is to go to a concert. I had told uh, my kids that I would take them to a Toby Mac concert. If you know Toby Mac, he does contemporary Christian music. 
and uh, we were very anxious to go, and so that's why we ended up driving to Charlotte instead of waiting till he came to Nashville or whatever, which he, I'm sure he did later in the year. But we decided to drive to Charlotte. Now, as we went into that place, I can tell you this, when he came out and everybody was cheering and all that, a good number of people there that day were there because they wanted to be there. They were excited. They, they were fans of Toby Mac's music. They wanted to hear him and see him live. And so a good number of people that day were there for that reason. They wanted to be there. However, I can guarantee you that some of the people in that same building that day were not there because they wanted to be there, but rather they were there because, you know, somebody was making them go or they just reluctantly agreed to go. And so they were there for a totally different reason. Now, as you think about these two different reasons for being there, and you get down to why they were there, obviously motivation had entirely, uh, was entirely different on both sides. One wanted to be there, the other one was just kind of doing it out of obligation or reluctance. Now, we're going to come back to that analogy in just a second, but I want to think just for a moment about worldly grief and godly grief. The difference between the two, at the bottom, at the foundation, is motivation. Motivation for this type of grief. Godly grief, worldly grief. While worldly and godly grief may look similar on the surface, the underlying motivations are entirely different. So when you think about your own life, I want you to ask, generally speaking, when it comes to your sin, the things that, that you do that are disobedient to God, that would displease God, when it comes to your sin, what is your overall response? You see, a worldly grief is motivated by a love for self. It's all about you. And when you sin, when you get caught doing what you're doing, when you're in the midst of it and you realize looking back that it's damaged some things, you worry primarily about yourself. Maybe you worry about uh, the sin damaging your reputation, your job, your relationship, but you aren't worried about uh, anything else other than selfish things. The main thing you're trying to do in the midst of that is maybe to, to protect yourself, Maybe you feel bad for, for getting caught. But ultimately, worldly grief has no real remorse for what God thinks about the sin you're doing. Now think about your life. When it comes to your sin, is that what your grief over sin looks like? Is it rooted in selfish ambition? Maybe you're upset about what was lost from the situation rather than the situation itself. For, for example, um, you worry that you can't maybe experience the pleasures of that sin anymore because of this grief. Now you, you feel like, oh, I can't go back to it, and that's what upsets you. Now that, again, worldly grief is motivated by love for self. On the other side, godly grief, that motivation's entirely different. It is motivated by a love for God and a love for others. You see the sin for what it is, and you desire to remove it from your life because of how God thinks and feels about that sin and what he said about that sin. Now, you can see the motivations, entirely different, and why it would be expressed as godly grief, worldly grief. On the surface, maybe in the initial moment, it may look the same, but when you dig down, 
you realize the motivations entirely different between the two. Now, when you look at your life and your overall mentality when it comes to sin, when it comes to the things that you do that's in, in, that are in disobedience to God, which one of these two would best classify your motivation for feeling some kind of remorse about your sin? And your answer to that can reveal so much more. Now, if you think about your own life, why do you feel sorry about your sin? And with these questions, a lot can be revealed about your spiritual health on how you answer these. And we're going to dig into why this is so important because what motivates you is crucial because your motivation leads to a response. And so we've seen the remorse, the two different types. Now I want to show you what that type, those types of remorse, the response that these two types lead to. All right, let's look back together at verse 10 again. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Now, you see here that the motivation between the two creates a response between the two. Now, I want to go back to my analogy I was using a minute ago, the people at the concert. The motivation for going, one wanting to be there, the other just going out of obligation, most likely will produce a different response between those two people at that same event. They can both have a ticket. They can both be in, the, in their seats. They can both be experiencing the same thing as far as the event, but their response to it will be entirely different. Chances are the person who wants to be there will enjoy the event, right? And the person who doesn't want to be there, who's just doing it out of obligation, will be miserable the whole time, will wish they hadn't been there, and just, you know, be sitting there maybe upset at the fact that they're even there to begin with, right? So their motivation produces different responses, our motivations between worldly grief and godly grief produces two different responses. Worldly grief does not produce repentance. Godly grief produces repentance, and we know that repentance, according to God's word, is the proper response to sin. Acts 3.19, one of the most famous sermons in the Bible, says this, Therefore, repent and turn back that your sins may be wiped out. Acts 17.30 tells us, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Matthew 4.17, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so we've used this word a lot of times this morning already, and I know you've heard it in the past if you've been around church at all, the word repent. So I want to stop for a moment and just ask an obvious question. What is repentance? Like this question, we, it's obvious that we need an answer to it, right? What is repentance? Now, if we went around just churches in general this morning and asked what is repentance, we would probably have some people say that repentance is asking God for forgiveness. And I would say certainly that's part of it. Some people may say, well, repentance is just trying not to sin anymore, and I would say, well, certainly that's part of it. But it doesn't really encompass the totality of what repentance is. When we look at this word in Scripture, 
In the original Greek, this word repentance literally means a change of mind. It's like everything we think about something changes. That's a repentance. And so to, to express kind of um, in an analogy that would be real world today, um, imagine that um, you are going to drive someone home. You've got to drop them off at their house. And they are riding with you. You're driving down the road. And as you're driving, you begin talking. And without realizing it, you pass up their home. And the person looks at you and says, hey, uh, you passed up my house. It's back there. we we got to go back. And so what are they telling you to do in saying that? Literally, they're asking you to pull over and change directions, to turn around from the direction you're heading and go into the direction opposite the way you're heading. Now, when you think about repentance, that is exactly what it is. It's changing directions from our way, that self-seeking way, the self-gratification way, and changing directions, heading toward God's way and what he wants. Now you see why worldly grief does not produce repentance, because it's wrapped up in self-gratification and, and wanting to save yourself, right? And so we'll just keep heading our way. We might feel sad and sorry that it happened. We might look sorry on the outside. But in the end, our hearts, our minds have not changed directions. They're just heading toward what we want and what we think is best for us. But instead, godly grief looks at sin for what it is and says, I've displeased God. My life should not be about me. My life should be about God. And I've got to turn from my sin. And I've got to literally change direction. I can't live the way I've been living. Instead, I have to go God's way. And you have this change of mind, this change of heart that, yes, includes asking God for forgiveness. It includes trying not to sin anymore. But the reason you do those things is because you've changed your mind. You've changed your thinking on how you think about sin to how God thinks about sin. That's what repentance is. And so when you look at this um, here um, described for us in verse 10, we see that godly grief produces repentance. Whereas worldly grief, there's no repentance present. And so this response, how do you know if you've really had this change of heart? Like what will be the signs? We know the signs of, of no repentance. It would just be to go back to living for yourself, right? What would be the, the markers of repentance? Well, look at verse 11, how he describes their overall attitude once they've repented of what they've done. Look at what he says. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, so godly grief, has produced in you. So here's a list of things this godly grief produced in them. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. Now think through some of these things. A desire to clear yourself. In other words, a desire to make things right, to, to get forgiveness, right? Indignation, he says. And that's this like godly anger towards sin. 
Just like God would be indignant about sin, we too have that same feeling, right? He goes on to say fear. Certainly we should have a fear of God that brings us to the place of of repentance and keeps us in that place, right? Deep longing, zeal, he says. And I think this deep longing and this zeal describes our overall attitude to obey God and follow God. Justice. Certainly, man, we want to make things right. We want to, to have justice in the, in the situation and show to be pure. Over a period of time, we're going to show uh, others around us that, man, we're different, right? Why? Because we've turned from that, and God has made a difference in our lives, and we want to follow him. So when you look at your life, can you see and identify a point in your life where you had a change in mind or a change in heart towards sin. Think about that. Looking back at your life, can you see a point in your life that you repented? You know, there have been a few occasions in my ministry where I've had folks come up to me and ask me, how can I know I'm saved? You know, how how can I know that I've really uh, repented? How can I know that I'm heading for heaven And I think the fact that if you're asking those questions or maybe you've thought about those things before, I think the fact that you're asking those things or thinking about those things is a sign that God in some way is working in your life. And I I think that's awesome, right? For anybody who considers these questions, that's a sign that God is stirring up something within them. But how I would answer that and how I would, um, you know, respond to that is by having someone think, and maybe you need to think about these things this morning. Do you remember a time in your life where you fully decided to follow Jesus, like that U-turn? And you said, overall in my life, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Generally speaking, when you go about your day, your day-to-day life, is your desire to become more like Christ? Do you have that desire generally throughout your days that you want to live more like Christ? Are you trying to live to honor him? Do you put him first in your life? Now, again, I said right off the bat that we all sin, right? We all fall short. That's why we need a Savior. And even after we're saved, we still struggle with this battle of flesh and spirit like Paul talks about. And so, again, I'm speaking generally, overall, is your desire to grow, truly to grow, to become more like Christ. And what about this? When you sin, does it bother you? And if it does bother you, why does it bother you? Our answers to these questions tell us something, a lot of things really, about where we are spiritually. Maybe your answer and response would be, well, you know, I haven't really thought about it that much. When I was a kid, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. But after that, like, I thought God just forgave me of everything, and so now I don't have to worry about how I live or what I do or anything like that because I'm going to heaven because I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. And you see, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. Yeah, it teaches there's a point in our lives that we turn to follow Jesus, but after that, we are forever following Jesus. You know, I heard a teacher one time talk about how in Baptist world we talk about once saved, always saved, and that's true, but perhaps a better way to say it would be once saved, forever following. 
That's how our lives should be, right? We're always striving to follow Jesus. It's not just something we put in the back burner. And so how I would describe this is repentance is a general thing when we get saved. We tell God we're sorry. We, we change our minds about sin and all that. We want to follow him. It's a general thing about our sins, past, present, and future. But then repentance is also to be ongoing as we live our lives and realize, man, we've, we've fallen short. We've got to repent of that to keep that fellowship with God where it needs to be. And so when you think about your life, I want you to know if there's sin in your life that maybe you've neglected, maybe you haven't really thought about repentance until today, I want you to know you are called to repent, to turn from your sin and follow Jesus at all points of your life, from the initial moment that you follow Jesus to the very day that you meet Jesus. You are called to continually live in this repentance. So we've seen, we've seen the remorse, the two different types. We've seen the response, the two different responses. But now I want to show you the result. There are two different results that you get from these two different types. Look back at verse 10 again. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief, notice there's no repentance, produces death. Worldly grief leads to no repentance, and because I want to live my life about me doing what I want, therefore nothing happens to my sin other than I'm living in it, and then one day I die. And that death is eternal, and it's very real. And Jesus spoke of hell all the time to warn people that you need to repent. However, when we have a godly grief about our sin and see sin rightly, how God sees it, we're going to turn from that, we're going to repent, and that repentance ultimately leads to what? Salvation. And the reason it leads to salvation is not because we live our lives better. The reason it leads to salvation is not because we're just trying to be better people now that we repented. The reason it leads to salvation is because we're turning from ourselves and turning to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's turning from our way to God's way. And repentance, when we truly repent, it leads to salvation. But no repentance leads to death. This morning, I want you to know that when we sin, the proper response should be and will be repentance. And for you this morning, have you repented? Have you repented? And let's just say generally speaking at first. Have you repented? Have you made a decision to turn from your way and turn to God's way? Have you thought rightly about your sin? The Bible says, yes, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. There is no one good, no, not one, none of us, and we need Jesus in our lives, and that's the reason he came. He never sinned, but yet he died on the cross to take the penalty of our sin, the punishment for our sin, so justice 
And God's wrath can be satisfied and we can experience God's mercy and grace. When he rose up from the dead on the third day, the Bible says that now we can experience eternal life. But yet there's a responsibility upon each and every one of us to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sin? 2 Peter 3.9 puts it this way. In speaking of the Lord's return, it says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Think about that. God doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want this death to happen in your life. So he gives you the opportunity for repentance. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. There are still people who he desires to have the opportunity to come to him. And that person is you today. He wants you to come to him. So how do you do that? It involves asking God to forgive you. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, meaning that he is our Lord, we're going to follow him instead of ourselves. If we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's how you do it. And you begin living your life to follow Jesus. So if you want to make that decision this morning, I'm going to be down front in just a minute. I'll encourage you to come down front and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. But listen, this call for repentance, he's writing in 2 Corinthians to believers. This call to repentance isn't just for unbelievers repenting, coming to Jesus. This call for repentance is to be an ongoing thing in our lives. I'm going to have you bow your heads where you are this morning. And as you reflect on your life, what is that sin in your life that you need to repent of today? Maybe it's been ongoing in your life and you just, as I said earlier, maybe you've been hard-headed, hard-hearted about it. You know that it's sin, but you've preferred to go your way. What is that sin in your life you need to repent of? Maybe it's anger, selfishness, pride maybe, maybe gossip, perhaps some type of sexual sin or lust in your, in your life. Maybe something like drunkenness or greed or envy. You know, there are so many things mentioned in Scripture that, that can take a stronghold on our lives if we're not careful. And this morning, if you're sitting there trying to think of what, what do I need to repent of, maybe you just need to ask God to reveal to you your shortcomings and your sin, those things that may be in the way between you and God. And as you think about those things, this morning... Ask God to help you see sin how he sees it. That your heart and mind would turn from your way to his. I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently to the Lord as you think about those things that God is putting 
on your heart and in your mind today. Father, we know that every single one of us struggle with things. And Lord, that's why we're so grateful that you sent Jesus to die for us and come back to life. Lord, I pray for that person this morning who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't submitted their life to him. And maybe pride's getting in the way. Maybe they're worried about um, not being able to do what they want to do. Or maybe they're worried about what others will think if they follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to set our pride aside and to submit our lives to you. Lord, for that person who needs to repent for the first time and come to Jesus today and follow him, I pray that today would be their day to do that. Lord, help them not to say no again to your Holy Spirit. Lord, to every single one of us who, who are believers, we uh, repented maybe years ago. Lord, help us to see the importance of ongoing repentance in our lives, where sin doesn't get in our way of following you. Lord, I pray for someone today who maybe has some things going on in their lives that they need to confess to you. Lord, help us to remember that you know all about us. You're not going to be surprised by that. And Lord, help us, instead of running away from you, to learn to run to you. Father, I, I pray again for every single one of our hearts. May you move in, in your, through your spirit in our time together in this time of commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, again, I'm going to invite you, if you want to come forward to pray or talk to me, uh, I'll be down front. Proverbs 28:13 says this. Listen to these words. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. And that's the story of grace. That's the story of what God came to do for us. And so this morning, I encourage you, come to the Lord, confess those things to him, and follow him.